All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Josh would love to pass one out. If you do have your Bible, if you with me would turn to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have yours, Mark chapter 12 this morning. We're in a series about the words of Jesus. So each and every week we have this great opportunity, usually in the gospel, speaking of something Jesus did or said that would encourage us. We've been here for many months and we probably will be for many more, but we are encouraged to what God is saying to us and through us. So Mark chapter 12 this morning, I'm actually going to begin in verse 28, Mark 12, 28, if you follow along with me, it says this, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first or foremost commandment of all? So if you get the flow of the chapter before then, what is happening in chapter 12 is the Pharisees have been testing Jesus. He's been telling them parables, and they've been desiring to trip him up and debate with him to trick him in some way. So they've talked about taxes and money. They've talked about the resurrection and asked difficult questions. And it seems in some way that they have been reasoning Because this is what this scribe says. He's heard them reasoning together and perceiving, obviously, that Jesus answered perfectly. He asked this question very simply, what is the most important or first or foremost commandment? And Jesus answers him in verse 29, the first of all of the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first or foremost commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that, no one dared question him. So, we have heard this passage before, I'm sure, many times, and maybe you've quoted it to others or to yourself. There's a few things I really believe that God wanted to share with us, and specifically with someone individually this morning, something that you needed to hear. And I'm finding the more I seek the Lord, the more confident when I hear his word that someone needs to hear these things. And I think the first one who needed to hear it is me. Amen? Because I'm kind of riding high this morning. 
because I've been thinking about this passage and I am feeling really loved by God. And there is nothing, can I tell you, like that. There is nothing when you experience the love of God in your life. Well, here it is. They're fighting. Jesus is speaking truth. The Pharisees are doing their usual, what, Jesus, you can't mean this, you do this, and all about regulation and laws. And Jesus always answers them perfectly. And here, the greatest of all, the first, what is this commandment? is simply to love God. To do nothing but to love Him. And we love to tie loving into obedience, but just leave the obedience aside for a second. Simply, the greatest commandment is to love God. Now, it certainly will include obedience, but I just want to separate that for a second because there's a lot of people who are obedient who don't love God. They do it for their own sake but we do it because we love Jesus. But I always found it interesting, why did he start with this sentence here? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why didn't he just cut to the chase and be like, the first commandment is to love the Lord God with all our complete self, our mind, our soul, our physical strength, our heart. Why does he say this little section? Obviously, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, and I know that in my Bible because it's in italics. I get a little help, and maybe your Bible helps you too. But he quotes this whole section, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the scribe comments on that, and he says, You have spoken in verse 22 the truth, for there is one God and no other but he so obviously the intention is to show the Pharisees that truly God is the only God. Amen? But I also looked into that a little more and thought, why does he say that the Lord God is one? Obviously one way. But I also want to point out to you, I believe in some sense, which scripturally totally backs up, that we know God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. And they created together, and they think together, and the bond of that relationship is love. And can we explain the Trinity? I don't think so. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to give you the explanation of coffee with milk and sugar and stirring it and becoming one. I'm not going to do that because it's a mystery. But what we do know from Scripture is there is an incredible love relationship between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's amazing that he would say God is the only way and these three parts are one and we look at these three separate but together and it screams love. For example, when Jesus was baptized... God said, this is my beloved son. This is the one I love. He is beloved. He is so loved by me. And then Jesus did everything to please the Father out of love. And the Holy Spirit only speaks of Jesus. And you have this immense picture of love. 
of God loving Jesus, of Jesus loving God, of the Holy Spirit. And we know if we have the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that is love. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is. The greatest fruit in you is love. Love, because the Holy Spirit is love. And that idea in the Trinity, and you look at this and you think, okay, the greatest commandment is I need to love God with all my heart. But God is so amazing. He gives you the perfect picture of love in his relationship with Jesus. Well, what does my love for God look like? Look at the relationship of God and Christ and Christ to God and the Holy Spirit and you will have the perfect picture of love. I remember Al Gurley, someone who's been here often, one of my mentors, when I was getting married, I remember I went to a wedding he did and he married us, but he didn't speak at my wedding, but I went to another one that he did and I, and I went along and I remember he gave this message, and I'm like, Al, what are you doing? He spent the marriage ceremony talking about the Trinity. And I'm like, Al, come on. This is about, like, husband and wife. But he said to them, guys, if you can grasp the love of the Trinity, the love in the Father of the Son, and you can bring it into your marriage, it will be incredible. And I never forgot that. And here as he begins, hear, O Israel, that our Lord God is the only way, but our Lord God is one, and love is the relationship. And that love, what does it do? Think about all the things that Christ in his love for the Father, that love submits, that love obeys, God gave to Jesus, that love gives, that love is 1 Corinthians 13 love. Love, that love always hopes, that love is kind, that love is not rude, that love does not puff itself up. The Holy Spirit's never saying, oh, look at me. Always pointing to Christ. And see, that is agape love, perfectly pictured for us. And that's the love we, that's the word, to love the Lord God, to agape God. That's how we are supposed to love Him. It's amazing. But I want to tell you one thing that's really important as we move along here this morning. That you cannot love until you know you are loved. Now if you take anything away from today, you cannot truly love God until you know you are loved by God. The old covenant love was all about, I love to get a blessing. You know, that's in Deuteronomy, right? Love the Lord God, and this is what you'll get. He'll bless you. Your flocks will be great. Your harvest will be wonderful. And if you don't love him, you'll be full of diseases. And we look at the Old Testament and we think of love, but the reality in the Old Testament is they could never truly love God completely because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the new covenant. They didn't understand Jesus. So their love was based on getting something. Now, um, is our love based on getting something? Maybe with God, things are going bad. Oh God, I'll love you more. 
Have you ever done that? Things are going, oh, I'll read my Bible this week. Just turn my life around. My marriage is in trouble. I'll just get up and I'll fast. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Would you love to get something? Do you, does your mind kind of think like, I haven't been loving God, and that's why things are going bad? That's living in the old covenant, friends. That's not the new covenant. What you have to understand in the new covenant is the first voice you might hear is God's love for you. Because why do you love it, say, in, in 1 John? Because he has first loved you. How has he loved you? Now you have to take a moment and understand this to understand his love. And maybe I'll put it in perspective myself because I won't call you guys names. I'll call myself a few names. I'm a dirty, grimy person without Jesus Christ. I am an awful sinner. And think about in your life some of the awful things you've done. And I th think, okay, maybe help you. Think of some of the awful things I've done. <laughs> but I think of them very loud and clear in my life. Ever since you were a baby, all the junk, all the thoughts that aren't of him that you've done. And just think of all that sin. And think of how much God loves you. That he would give his only son to die to take all that junk away. You know, there's a lie that we hear sometimes that before we're saved or, oh, we didn't live a bad life, I was a good person. No, I wasn't. I was a sinner. And to think of how much Christ loved me, and there is no greater love than a man laying down his life for you. If you've watched movies before, and it seems like the end was someone sacrificing for the benefit of the group, and you're like, that's amazing. They sacrificed themselves. And for us to truly understand what Christ has done, how much he has loved us, how much he still loves us, how much he calls to us, even at the worst point of our lives, our failure, our downness, our depression, thinking no one can truly care of me, I'm at the bottom of the barrel, and yet that first voice says to you, I love you. I have been with teenagers before, and honestly, they have said this to me, and this is the truth. I don't think God can love me. You don't know all the bad stuff I've done. That's a teenager, 16 at the time. I can remember exactly, it was in Jersey Joe's Pizzeria. Looked me square in the eye, said, you don't know what I've done. There's no way God could love me. So what do you think I said to her? God does love you. And yeah, you did bad things. But he loves you so much. While you were yet a sinner, he came and died for you. Not because you did anything well. Not because you sought him. Because that is his character and that is who he is and that's what he calls to you. Today, he says, 
I love you. And I've proven it. And I continually prove it with my son. And in life, I keep coming to you and calling to you. You see, everything is based on the love of the Father and the love of the Son. And they cry out to you this morning, I love you. That's what Scripture tells us. That's not what Dan is saying. This week, it's interesting how things flow together for me. Uh, friends, and a couple of us are doing a Bible study. A friend sent me, and some of you know, Henry Nowen. He wrote, The Life of the Beloved. And there were some videos, and they were kind of old, but I sat down to watch them. And the Lord gripped my heart again with this truth that you have to understand you are the beloved of God. Whether you are doing well or bad, he says, you are my beloved through the life of Jesus Christ. And again, we come back to him, not me, Lord. Because our whole world is, I do something to get something. I be good boy, I get mom and dad saying good job. I feel their love because something I do. I feel love because who I am and what I've accomplished. But the problem with that is when I fail, I don't feel loved. But that's the wrong narrative for the word of God. Because you're going to go up and down. You're going to do well. You're going to fail. You're going to be like, this week I had a great week. Oh, I didn't read my Bible this week. Oh, how can God love me? Mom and dad didn't love me when I did something wrong. Or it felt like that. They said they did, but. Or I got fired. Or I'm a failure. And you don't hear the whisper from Scripture that says to you today, you are loved whether you think you're good-looking, whether you think you're not good-looking, whether your relationships are a mess or good, he comes to you and says, you are loved. And the magnitude of agape love is beyond our understanding, and that's why Paul the Apostle continually prays to the churches, especially the church in Ephesus, I bow my knee, and he goes on to say that you would know the magnificence of God's love, the height, the depth, the width, the length, that you would come to completeness in Jesus Christ, that you would just a little bit more understand the magnitude of his love that you truly are the beloved. So why would Paul pray that for an active, thriving church? Why would he remind them again and again all these scriptures, their position in God based on his love? Because we forget and we need to be reminded and we need to be praying for each other to understand truly that we are the beloved. I, <laughs> you know, we, it just can't be in your mind. I know we have some nice, intellectual, wonderful, logical people. I have a few in my family. A few of my children are just really smart. But you know what my prayer is sometimes? That they would feel and experience the love of God. 
Not that they would know it only here, but it would descend to here. Because here can sway in the wind with a greater explanation this way or that way. But when you grasp and feel that you are loved, everything changes. Everything changes. You're not the same person. You can call me a jerk. That's okay. Because God loves me. And I can get fired. And I can have a bad day. And I can mess up. And I don't want to mess up. And God will whisper in my ear again and again, know my love. Because here's the crazy thing. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. You're his adopted sons and daughters. Think about that. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And as Henry Nouwen said, which blew me away, you are his favorite. But here's the crazy thing. We're all his favorites, but don't think about that now. Just personally, I, everyone in this room is God's favorite. Ephesians chapter 1 says, you are chosen. You ever been on the playground as a kid and you're like the eighth chosen? Like they called up teams and the captain's like, oh, I'll take Dan. He can't hit a ball, but anyways. And you're like, oh, I guess I'll play for them. And then you kind of be jokey, jokey about it. <laughs> but what happens when you're chosen first? What's happening when you're chosen? That's right, baby. <laughs> There's a reason. Not because I'm his friend, he chose me because I'm good at this, that's what I think, but oh, I was just his friend. But anyways, when you're chosen first, you're on top of the world, and that's what God says in Ephesians 1. You have all spiritual blessings. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. He looked at you and he said, whatever your name is, I want to say all your names, but I chose you. I love you. And then in Ephesians 1, I've redeemed you. I've paid everything for you. I paid the ultimate cost, my own son, just for you. I've accepted you in the beloved. You are not rejected. You are accepted because of my love. And not only that, I gave you the Holy Spirit. I sealed you, and I'm taking you to heaven to be with me. Do you know that this morning? Not here, but here. If you do, you'll leave this place different. And everything changes. Everything changes. And here comes the commandment. You said, well, when are you getting to this commandment? We're supposed to love God. When I'm loved, I want to love back. When I'm loved, I want to love back. And if you're following along, maybe just in what we've said here, understand the character and relationship of the Trinity and the love in the Trinity. Understand you cannot love until you understand love. And thirdly, when you are loved, you love back. I remember driving with my brother. I was really young and he was a young adult, and he was engaged, and we were in Ottawa, and we were coming back to Silver Lake, and it was so foggy. I couldn't see. And I was like, man, this is dangerous. 
And he looked at me, because I think his fiance or at that time his girlfriend was at the cottage and we were there. And he looked at me, and I don't know why he said it. I think I was only like 15 or 14 or 16. I don't know. He's like, the craziest things you'll do for love. And I'm like, oh, dishes for love. <laughs> you take out the trash. You change diapers. And if love is the motive... Man, now we're getting into the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's when, a physical term, I guess, the, the best we can do is family or children or husband or wife. And what you'll do, and just think the honeymoon kind of phase, you'll go through a wall. You'll go through a wall for that individual and you won't care. And you'll drive hours, hours, just for a few minutes with that person because you love them. And you'll talk on the phone for hours. And after 20 years of marriage, you'll be like, oh, okay, bye. <laughs> but when you truly feel the love of another person, oh man, you want to give back with all of your heart. I can remember, I would buy anything for Amy. I loved her so much, even if I didn't have the money. But all my heart, I've got a stack of letters. I don't like writing letters. I've got a stack. I used to write every day and make posters and pictures and all that stuff. I would do anything. That's what love does. I would say for my children, even now, I have no problem sacrificing what I have for them. Think about it, parents. If they're in trouble, what would you do for your child? If they were helpless, you would do anything. Magnify that times 10. And that's Christ's love for you. And then you just respond to that so wonderfully and beautifully. And it's not a relationship as the scribe understands of sacrifices and doing this and going to church and reading my Bible and I'm witnessing. And I'm, it's not about all these religious things. Folks, it's about a love relationship with Jesus Christ. This is numero uno, the foremost, number one. Do you have a love relationship with Him? Man, because maybe you're alone, but you'll never be lonely. You know what Romans 12:1 says? In view of God's mercy or His love... I present my body as a living sacrifice. When I look at Jesus in his life, I say, man, you take all my heart, you take all my strength, you take it all. And by the way, heart is at numeral uno because it drives everything else. And that's Romans 12. And the response of application and obedience comes after the understanding of love and sometimes you do it and you don't want to do it because love empowers you. But here's the sad thing. As they found out in Revelation 2 with the church in Ephesus, you're doing all the right things, but you've lost your first love. You're going to church. You've lost your first love though you know truth but you've lost your first love 
And what does the Holy Spirit say to that church through the pen of John the Apostle? He says this, repent. Simply repent and turn back to the first things. Turn back to the love relationship, the motivation of love. Don't stop doing obedience and truth and all these things. Don't stop, but may your motivation change that it is out of love, the first love, the first voice. You are my beloved. By the way, I did skip, but I don't want to skip too much. But hey, by the way, if you know you're love, loving your neighbor, it's a lot easier when you know you're loved. Because neighbors can bug you, offend you. They can really jack you off, right? They can steal from you, can hurt you. But here it is, the flow, the progression is as I understand God's love and love him, I'm going to love everyone else in this room. Even if they rub me the wrong way. But if you don't know the relationship of love in your own life, what happens is when you try to love with each other, poof! It goes well for a while, but then it's such so selfish. And when it goes bad and they hurt me, bam! Shazam! And it's bad community. Bad community. And I love what Henry Nguyen says about this as well. As you truly know his love, you make home. You make community. You make life. Because as you know God's love, it just flows right through you to each other. And that's 1 Corinthians 13 love. That's seeing the best in each other. That's hoping the best. That's not keeping a record of wrongs. That's not like, uh, my black book here, uh, Bob Winter, page three. Um, yes, I remember. <clears throat> no. And you know what we do? It's so awful. We say we know the love of God, but we're keeping an account. Even in our own homes with our spouses. And we tit for tat. Don't you remember what you did to me? Don't you remember that? How you hurt me? That's not love. That's not the forgiveness of offense. That's keeping a record of wrongs. And are you doing that with other people? Well, what is the solution? Coming back to the love of God and knowing he has forgiven you and you love him back and how you love him is by loving others. Do you know, it's always in the Bible, a love relationship. Old Testament, as I mentioned, God talks about how Israel was his bride but committed adultery through idolatry and it just made him a jealous husband. New Testament, you are the what? The bride of Christ. And the relationship is based on love. And he's asked you out because <laughs> he died for you. And he laid it on the line for you. I guess this morning, I just want to remind you to love God with all your heart. All your soul, your emotion, your intellect, all your strength physically, because we're made up of three parts, right? Soul, heart, spirit, our flesh. Love Him with all you got. 
love him. But would you truly understand his love? And no one leave this place not feeling that they are loved by Christ. Not because of what I've said, but because of what he has said. And because of what he has done. I think there are some in this room who need to hear this for the first time and your relationship with God is based on fear and you just doing the right thing to get something. That is religion. That isn't God's word. There's some of you who have known God's love, but you've gotten so busy and it's become so performance-based that you have truly left your first love. And this morning, he is calling you back to himself. This morning, he's given you a text, a call, an email, however you function, and he's crying out to you. And he said, don't worry about this, that, and the other. Worry about this. Understand this. Come back to your first love. I love you. Come back. But it's pretty serious in Revelation 2 because if you don't, if you don't, there are consequences. But he's asking you to repent. Go back to the first works, the foremost works, the first commandment, and know my love and love me back. God doesn't want to be rejected by you. He wants your love this morning. Come back. Forget about all the sacrifices, religious activities, and simply come back to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning. You've commanded us to love you. Do sense the Holy Spirit is working in our midst this morning because if we asked him to, he's faithful, right? Nothing to do with what we've done. In terms of music or teaching, the reality is, is when we ask him and desire him with our whole heart, he's here with us. But maybe your whole life you've thought religion is about doing sacrifices, doing rules. Can I tell you this morning, if you've never realized this, it's about a love relationship with Jesus Christ. But maybe you've never gone steady <laughs> with God. You've never committed yourself to God. You've never understood that he's loved you so much. <clears throat> Today, the word of God would say, if you do that, if you ask him into your life, if you admit that you can't do it yourself and you're a sinner, he will come and dwell and be with you. <laughs> Praise God. Is that you this morning? You do not have a love relationship with Christ.
He's calling you to that. Just in your heart, say, God, I want to make you Lord of my life. Jesus, you are real. Jesus, you came. And in your heart, believe that. And then say it to him, Lord, I need you. I accept your gift of love and forgiveness. Change me. Oh, man, he wants that so desperately. Would you do that? Just in the quietness of the moment, in your own heart. And second, maybe, honestly, maybe we all need to do this. Maybe we've left a little bit of our first love. Maybe we need to repent, to turn, and do the first things. We need to make space in our life for the one we love, Jesus Christ. We need to go back to the day that we accepted him and chose to dwell with him. Is that you? You need to repent. Just call out to him. Just tell him you're sorry. You just desire to be with him, to enjoy his love. We don't need to rush this moment. May the Holy Spirit speak deep into our hearts. The love of God. And praise you, Jesus. And worship you, Jesus. You're so good to us. Oh, we turn back to you, Lord. We repent. We turn back to you. You are more than money. You are more than things. You are more than human relationships. You are more than anything we can do on this earth. You are everything. And as Jesus said to Peter, he says to us this morning, do you love me, Peter? He's saying that. Put your name in it. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Oh, Lord, we do. We turn to you. And take communion and remember the love of God. Maybe in the elements, the body and the blood, you'll hear him screaming to you, I gave my life for you. I love you. My blood washes you clean. The juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ, which justifies us from our sin, our ugly sin, and makes us pure. When we take communion, we truly are worshiping and remembering the love and grace of Jesus Christ. The elements are in the back. You can quietly and respectfully get them as Randy sings. Just worship the Lord. If you need prayer, there'll be brothers and sisters in the back. Maybe you've committed yourself to the Lord or you're repenting and you want to tell someone, we'd love to celebrate with you. 
But let's praise Jesus and worship him together. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Thank you.